Movies and Booze on Moncrief on News Talk. Hello and welcome back. It is Stephanie sitting in for Moncrief. That is the only change. We are going to stick to our Friday tradition of movies and booze. I'm joined in studio by Finola Jones, Dean McGuinness and Esther McCarthy. Good afternoon to you all. Hello. Hi guys. Hi Stephanie. How are you doing? And uh, Esther is there joining us uh, remotely. Um, guys, just before we get into this, right, we did a segment in the last, in, in, before the ads, uh, about men peeing while standing up, right? Because apparently they showed it's cleaner... You know, we don't want to have to be dealing with their splashback. We've got a lot of text in on the topic. Uh, someone saying, Stephanie, is that interview a piss take? <laughs> so that's Pat. <laughs> no, actually, it wasn't Pat. Um, but I love I love a good pun. Another text. After a sailing holiday where it is compulsory to sit when using the toilet, I am a convert. I've been sitting down for 12 years. I mean, I didn't know. Is it compulsory on all sailing boats? To I, I don't know, but that's kind of an interesting fact. I saw this sign in a public toilet. Gentlemen, when discharging your weapon, please stand closer to the target. Remember, it's a pistol you have, not a rifle. <laughs> I absolutely love that. Because I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm so baffled by how adult men. So you can assume that in a bar, right, in a pub, people are going there to drink. They're certainly over 18. So you can assume generally that they've been peeing standing up for for the guts of 16 years anyway at the very least and they're still so so terrible about it it's yeah. insane it's just a beggar's belief to be and, honest and they don't <laughs> clean up after it like I think it's it's the cleaning I think is the issue because as you said they should have the experience to know how to do it but I think it's maybe not being told to clean after it they shouldn't have to be told but maybe that's it I don't know it's crazy it's quite shocking how clean the women's toilets are I walked into a woman's toilet uh, one time by mistake um, nothing to do with the alcohol I'd consumed and looked around and went this does not look like oh it's the women's it's the women's yeah and also then like when you go into these public peeing spaces Spaces, the the effort that is taken to mask the smell so you end up with this like intense cherry smell or some sort of like urinal cake that makes it oh it's just horrendous Dean if it's not too personal would you would you be a convert to sitting I not as yes no and we, we have a new dog now and we had a dog before and in both instances there is a lot of conversation about whether it's a real man if he cocks his leg or crouches down both of them are crouching down and not cocking their leg right uh, okay so that's a, a kind it's of a similar issue it's interesting that yeah. ac- across like a, 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 across species there is this co- question of like well a real man would do it this way <laughs> which is like like slightly alarming. Anyway, we'll move on from all the toilet talk um, to movies and booze. I don't drink. I haven't drank since 2014. So I am very excited that you have brought with you some non-alcoholic offerings. We have, yeah. We have two Irish offerings and a German beer. So to start with, we're doing a side-by-side on Stonewell non-alcoholic cider. Uh, it's uh, made down in Cork by Daniel Emerson. And um, along with that, we're doing a an alcohol-free beer from Dungarvan Brewing Company called Mainsail. It's a non-alcoholic pale ale. And then uh, for the second tasting, we'll do Meisel's non-alcoholic which is non-alcoholic German wheat beer Have you noticed like a growing market for this like it seems to have kind of boomed and it's not just people who maybe were problem drinkers but people just seem to be 
more interested in in trying these things now and also it reduces what I have found the stigma around like why aren't you drinking are you pregnant are you on antibiotics are you an alcoholic which are always the three questions that come after no I don't drink so now I can just have one of these in my hand and everyone is like yeah okay obviously she's not she doesn't have a problem yeah it's it, it's been growing uh, quite a bit now uh, when COVID kicked in it had been in huge growth and then it kind of levelled off probably yeah. a, a number of people thinking if I'm going to be locked at home you know what, why, why do I need to avoid the alcohol so there was a kind of a amusing of it during COVID but talking to people it is definitely coming back up again and interesting in terms of what you're saying I did a kind of a reverse poll on that idea and uh, during the week asking people if it was acceptable to drink a non-alcoholic beer during a morning Zoom business meeting um, because you're drinking a beer but there's no alcohol there's in no it alcohol but it. it's the perception that you're drinking an alcoholic product because it looks like a beer 50% said no absolutely not not acceptable one third said yes and uh, one sixth said uh, depends on the occasion right okay so, so if you're having yeah. a morning meeting that's sort of like maybe saying goodbye to a colleague or something then it might be but uh, but other, but otherwise no that's interesting isn't it we have so much I guess emotion attached to it right we're going to come back to the to, to the which we're going to taste first we'll taste uh, the Stonewall Cider and the Dungarvan Pale Ale side by side okay. two Irish beers I'm two delighted Irish. I'm looking forward to that uh, showbiz news yes what have we got Love Island is uncoupling with fast fashion for the new series. Um, seems to be one of a number of changes they're making for the upcoming series. There's an series. awful lot of like Gen Z slash millennial language in that sentence. For those <laughs> who Love Island is uncoupling with fast fashion. Can we get that in, in talk to me in old money? So essentially uh, Love Island for anyone who isn't unfamiliar or who is not familiar but I'm assuming most people are because it's a reality show that is pretty much taking over it's everything It's sort of like how everyone is familiar with COVID. It's like yeah. it's this disease that you, for me, it's a disease that you can't get away from. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. Reality series, people go, they try to find love. More often than not, they're trying to find fame, let's be honest. Um, but the whole premise is, is they're going to this island to find their ultimate partner um, in this summer of love. Um, it's a series that's, you know, kind of heavily associated with fast fashion, like materialism. Often a lot of the contestants come out to these huge brand deals with fast fashion brands, beauty brands, eyelashes, tan, you name it. They will find a way to market it with these contestants. Um, but basically, uh, they've moved away from fast fashion sponsors for the upcoming new season, which I think starts the first week of June. Um, and so sorry, sp- are, are all of the the clothes, the bikinis, the very skimpy clothes that these people are wearing, are they sponsored through for yeah. the show? Yeah. Right, okay. So, they, so they don't just bring their own stuff. Yeah. So generally there'll be like a main top line sponsor, but uh, Brett Stanilad, he was a contestant that went in last year. He's a model and he's a big advocate for sustainable fashion. And he said essentially he went in and they were like, just gave him these duffel bags of free clothes, you know, to wear pretty much every day for his duration in mm-hmm. the villa. And he was like, absolutely not. I have my own gear. I'm going to wear this. Um, but yeah, essentially there's usually some kind of, and it's nearly always fast fashion sponsor um, that kits out the girls and the guys for like the parties and as you said, the bikinis for the pools and stuff. They're not doing it this year. It's going to be eBay is sponsoring the show for this upcoming series. eBay meaning that the clothes might be pre-loved as you'd say? They're or? all going to be secondhand. yeah. One of the executive producers basically said that they're looking to kind of focus more towards like a more eco-friendly production and more focus that it's kind of it's more attainable I suppose and more realistic for on screen because it's been one of the big criticisms of the show of this you know, this the way they treat fashion as so disposable, like they're in something different. They never repeat outfits on the show and you're talking, this is a show that goes on for eight weeks. Like this is an eight week holiday for some of them, you know. I so. feel like the attitude of the whole show though is about this 
disposable, dispensable clothes, people, emotions. Like it's not like the show in and of itself doesn't seem sustainable. Like they can't even sustain people's mental health. Totally. Yeah. You know, which I, is, I think this is like a plaster on a ship that already has many other holes that need to be addressed. Here, like, yeah, yes, yeah, exactly. I do think it's a positive change, I suppose, from your perspective as well. You'd question how that's going to affect casting because, as I mentioned, these people apply to the show to be famous, to get these brand deals, to make money, which is completely fair. Um, but if you have someone who, you know, really engages with fast fashion, loves these fast fashion brands, then see someone like eBay is sponsoring and they maybe have a little bit of stigma around secondhand fashion or they're just not really interested in it. They want the, to get the deal with, you know, the boohoos, the pretty little things. You'd wonder if it's going to attract a different type of contestant. Mm-hmm. That could be more interesting. But as you sh- said, like it's... It's one of these programs, you either love it or hate it, you're going to watch or you're going to not. I don't think this change is going to maybe necessarily recruit anyone who is already a critic, which mm. is fair. So No, I don't think it is. I mean, I think you can very much tell what side of the fence I'm on here. But, um, <laughs> and I maybe as the host should be slightly more uh, like in the middle. But you know what? I've done it now and I'm not going to. I've, I've set up my stall. Uh, no reused bikini is going to drag me in there uh, to that cesspit. But uh, at the same time, uh, I sometimes wonder about fast fashion okay and I'm going to move on then but you know there is an argument that these, that some people that fast fashion is their only option you know that like but I think eBay being a sponsor is much healthier because eBay isn't necessarily super expensive either. Sometimes it's either like fast fashion or this you know Gwyneth Paltrow boutique bikini that's going to ca- cost you half your salary. So eBay just seems like a really clever move I think totally as you said like sustainable fashion isn't really necessarily accessible for everyone yet at this point and my ethos is always like just buy less it's not I'm not going to shame anyone for going out yeah, to pennies or wherever else the eco-friendly thing you yeah. have is the thing you already have just buy less so I think this is a really smart move by them as you said because eBay caters to so many and there's a price point for everyone and it's way more accessible than as you said a lot of maybe the other haughty totty sustainable brands that like to kind of parrot to the rich and only the rich so yeah I just wish it wasn't Love Island that had done it I'm going to read one more text on peeing and then I'm going to get an overview of what we are going to be talking about in terms of movies uh, man here I have to point out that the direction and the flow of liquid from the nozzle can very significantly I'm sure Dean will agree I love that I, I, I love that like the whole conversation has become has become about peeing and now probably Love Island oh a text on Love Island Love Island is nothing more than a thinly than thinly veiled prostitution disgusting premise for entertainment Graham in Wexford now I am not a fan Graham but I, I don't know is it prostitution are they getting money I mean what? I mean I hope uh, Graham I don't know are you on dating apps because it's very similar to what's happening IRL <laughs> in real life <laughs> Esther you're there will you tell us uh, broadly what we're going to be talking about uh, today what have you seen Hi Stephanie first of all can I say the hubby's in the car at the moment and he's probably just listening to the show so I have no views whatsoever on peeing on toilets <laughs> you wouldn't you wouldn't prefer <laughs> him to be sitting down no <laughs> Does he sit down no, in a lot time? I, I have no points of view whatsoever, um, given that he's listening at the moment. But maybe when he turns the radio off, we'll tell the we'll truth about that. <laughs> <laughs> OK, turn off your radio, Esther's partner. OK, what have you seen? What have you got for us? I've got AHA the movie. Um, so this is uh, nice and old money, as you put it. Um, the rise and continued um, action, you know, activity 
more than 40 years later of these three lads from Norway, uh, Morten Harkett, Magna Furholman and Paul Wachter Savoy, who just became these sensational movie, music stars in the mid 80s. Um, I, t- I like that the title is Aha, the movie. It is playing with uh, the public perception of them as maybe kind of pop stars rather than serious musicians because this is actually a documentary and a really really detailed documentary about their influences um and about you know which include people like the doors velvet underground Mm -hmm. joy division soft cell uh jimi hendrix these were three young lads who were very 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 serious musicians and got kind of caught on uh, this pop roller coaster along the way i think um and i think you know, I was a bit of a snob in the 80s. I was a bit of a cure head and I wasn't really, I was kind of rolling my eyes at Aha. But listening back to their music now, having watched this film, I think they are probably underrated. Um, and I think what's really interesting is the people who underrate them the most are kind of the, the, the lads in the band themselves. So that's really interesting. Also, there's a sense they don't like each other very much, which is quite intriguing. I love a Not little bit they- of gossip. Yeah, not that they don't like each other. Maybe that they're just sick of each other. And wouldn't that be a human response to 40 years on the road together? I think so. I always find it yeah. a little bit disturbing when bands like, you know, like old, old bands are still like super pals. And it's like, you definitely aren't. And then I don't trust you. Um, yeah, exactly. G- tell us briefly, just in a line, what, what the other movies we're going to be talking about are. And then we're going to move on to reviewing the booze. Yes, the other movie we're talking about this week is uh, an, an interesting, again, I, I like when I get a knowledge from my movies. It's a drama called Benediction, uh, not a doctor's one, but based on a true story uh, with the brilliant Jack Lowden, who, of course, as well as being a really great young British actor, is the uh, long term boyfriend of our own Sir Ronan. And he is playing um, Siegfried Sassoon, who's this uh, World War One poet that I knew very little about, actually, who was this kind of decorated soldier on the front line and, you know, turned around kind of halfway through World War One and, and said, I don't believe that this is being fought for the right reasons anymore and became an anti-wartime poet, um, caused a lot of trouble for, for the British Army and the official England. And then, of course, had his own, uh, you know, private wars as well because he was a gay man and he was trying to live as a gay man and had these very high-profile relationships with other artists like Stephen Tennant and Ivor Novello um, and it tells that whole story uh, it's a very interesting film actually from the top British filmmaker Terence Davies so you know you're in serious territory here great we will do that after uh, after the next break but let us move on to the booze Okay, so we've got a side-by-side tasting. We're tasting Stonewell Non-Alcoholic and Dungarvan Pale Ale. Both Irish, uh, both from down south. uh, Stonewell from Cork and Dungarvan from Waterford, obviously. Um, And um, with the two of these, uh, what you've got is it really um, the the quality or or, um, how good a drink is, is a function of two things. One what the drink is like and then the other thing is where the person who's drinking it is coming from so if you don't like, like apple juice no 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 in, in terms of uh, <laughs> oh, okay. flavor, flavor preferences <laughs> right, and so okay. on if you don't like apple juice you're not likely to like a cider okay um, you so know, am but, I going to taste one of these now 
Yeah, so we taste the, the Stonewall cider first, which is one on the on your right, okay. um, and it's a paler gold in colour. As I, feel, a, I feel under a lot of pressure because sometimes when people talk about like the flavour profiles of drinks, I'm like, oh, for God's sake! So I'll just go taste <laughs> it and I'll tell you. Yeah, it's great. This one is quite straightforward because if you don't get apples in this, then um, uh, yeah, you'd get apples. All right, you need, to, you need to scratch your head a little bit on it. What it is? This has been uh, made as a, a a normal cider, so the alcohol has been made into it. Uh, they're using what are called bittersweet apples which are apples that have a level of sweetness and a certain amount of tannic quality into them. What do you mean the alcohol has been made into it? So it has been, uh, you have juice which is fermented, generates alcohol and then that alcohol is removed and in the case of this it's removed by a process called reverse osmosis. Uh, so it's a, a sounds made up a sophisticated <laughs> filtration system uh, to to remove the alcohol. Uh, so the and then what they do is they back sweeten the uh, cider with a certain amount of apple juice, and they're using culinary apples for the apple juice as opposed to all cider apples. So you get beautiful, golden, delicious flavour. It's a lovely balance of sweetness and acidity in it. The culinary apples bring in a bit more acidity to it. Incredibly easy to drink. Um, very easy to drink. Mm. Like one of the things that people would say, why would you not? just carbonate apple juice and, and drink it um, you do generate different flavours during the fermentation process I know there is a, so, like you'd know you weren't drinking apple juice wouldn't you feel like yeah, it's not yeah. like there's definitely it could be alcoholic you mm. know yep and as well as that, um, when w- with any alcoholic drink, what you have is you have a process where you have a sugary liquid, yeast introduced into it. The, the yeast turns the sugar into alcohol. So that's the process that this has gone through. So the natural sugars that would have been in the juice have been converted into alcohol and they've been pulled out. So it brings down the calorie count as well. It's about um, uh, 25 grams per 100 milliliters or about 60, 70 uh, gra- uh, calories for a bottle as compared to around 160 calories for a normal alcohol. Drink. Fascinating. That's the first one. Dungarvan uh, Mainsail Pale Ale. This now, one looks more, well, it's an ale, right? So it's got it, a little head on it. Or whatever. Absolutely. And uh, now, again, where you're coming from, if you are a craft beer drinker, th- this has the types of flavours that you would associate with craft beer. But because it's non alcoholic, alcohol tends to carry the flavour. So that um, means that you don't get the flavours in the same balance and the same profile. Yeah, it does feel a bit muted. Yep. Um, so what you've got, a certain amount of biscuity, um, 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 bread crust type flavours from the malt, and then they're using New World hops, so there's a kind of a citric, lemon-lime uh, character to the hops. Certain amount of bitterness, they've dialed down the bitterness in this. Bitterness is a, a funny flavour. It's something that people develop an appreciation for. So it's not something that people tend to like immediately. If you give bitter to a, a small child, not necessarily in the form of beer, <laughs> they'll uh, react to it. But if you give a child, like a two-year-old child tonic water, for example, which is quinine in it which would be bitter they tend to kind of rub their tongue and shake yes. their hands and, and react badly and then people develop uh, their appreciation of the flavours so this has the type of profile that you'd expect from a pale ale they've done a great job in it lovely biscuity malt character uh, citric lemon lime flavour into it uh, but again non-alcoholic and brewed as a beer but they've brewed it in a way which reduces the amount of fermentable sugars and then during the fermentation process they manage the fermentation process so that the alcohol isn't generated so so it's classified as non-alcoholic, which means it has less than 0.5% alcohol in it. Technically, if somehow you were able to drink about 27 bottles of this in a 30-minute period, you would start to feel the effect of uh, the alcohol in it. But if you were drinking 27 bottles of beer in a 30-minute period... You have other issues. You do have other issues. Then. <laughs> and you're definitely going to want to pee. Uh, so uh, someone has just said... Uh, I work in a bar and I asked, I was asked by a mother of two boys about seven and eight, could I give them two glasses of Heineken? Oh, sorry, this is, 
it says it's a text on peeing, but I think it's a text on alcohol. Could I give this these seven or eight year old boys uh, two glasses of Heineken 0.0? And I said, no, I can't. So obviously they're not There's fully a, not alcoholic. Like they are fully not alcoholic because it's but you can't get they're not children's drinks. Well, it, uh, this is a, a kind of a, a, an interesting thing. Uh, a zero alcohol beer is brewed to have zero alcohol in it. Um, now, there is alcohol in mouthwash. You know, there's alcohol yes, okay. in various different things. But you spit that out. And yeah, yes. yeah. Um, and uh, with fruit juice, you know, you can have a certain amount of fermentation, which might produce Tiny minuscule amounts of, of, of alcohol. Um, I think in most instances, people object for the same reason why they say, you know, 50% of people are saying you shouldn't drink a non-alcoholic beer, even if you're thirsty on a Zoom call at 10 o'clock in the morning. I think it's the perception and maybe with children, the, the idea that it's OK for you to drink something with a head on it is something that maybe people want to keep them away from for a period of time. Yeah, but technically, it's it's quite a healthy drink. And uh, in terms of uh, sports people, um, beer is isotonic. Uh, if you were looking to rehydrate after a run or something like that, non-alcoholic beer is better than water. I feel like that's that argument that we get sometimes where it's like, well, one glass of wine a day is very good for a woman's heart. <laughs> and you see these women with these glasses the size of their head. Uh, <laughs> Esther, when we come back, we're going to be talking to you um, tell us what movie we're going to come to first. I'm in the mood for a bit of take on me. We do Aha the movie first. We'll do Aha the movie first. That's coming up after this. How can we get out of Norway? Going as not you for we didn't have a plan B because plan B you already started doubting plan A. Esther, that was a clip from Aha the movie. Tell us what was it like? Do you want me to translate it for you? I, I wouldn't mind, <laughs> yeah. I was trying to be kind of polite there. Obviously I didn't want to be like, well, that was confusing. <laughs> I'm fluent Norwegian, not. Uh, so the take there on that passage of the film is, I suppose, the mad stuff that needs to happen to make it, to find fame, to find success. Um, at that point, it's a funny bit in the film, actually, where they're, they're calling the mammies in Norway. They're re- regularly ringing home. And no matter who inane they have a meeting set up with the following week, they go, they're going to the mammies. This is going to be our big break. This is guy is going to be huge and we're going to make it. And, you know, they were they didn't have a plan B, as you hear there, because, you know, to, to, to plan B was to go back to Norway and admit failure, even though plan A was involving two years of trying to break through living in a tr- three to, to a one bedroom um, flat in London and uh, surviving on porridge half the time. But these guys had a vision. They had a dream. They really wanted to make it. Uh, but the optimism of youth is gas. Like they, they, they get turned down at one stage by a label known as Decca, and they celebrate that because the Beatles were turned down by the same label years earlier. So you know they're able to just put this positive light on everything. Uh, the three of them because they believe in what they're doing, I guess. Uh, but what I did not know was "Take on Me," which went on to become one of the most successful pop songs of all time. Um, was originally released in 1984 with a slightly different riff. Um, 
And if you want to feel in, insubstantial, Stephanie, like the riff was written by Magne when he was um, 14 years of age. These guys had raw talent. Well, I'm uh, sitting you... here feeling quite insubstantial because for yeah. this whole conversation, I was like, right, will I tell her that I don't really know who AHA are? And then you just said, <laughs> take on me. And I was like, well, I definitely know that song. They must be the guys yeah. who sang that song. So yeah. I've been bluffing my way through this, to be honest. But the fact that he was 14, I mean, that, that I know. makes me you know, worse. You know that famous riff that ended up being on a synthesizer? We've all danced at a wedding to it. Um, 14 years of age but they released it originally everywhere as a different take a different version of the song um became a hit in norway and absolutely flopped all over the rest of the world and um they're all on the verge of giving up and there was a guy by the name of jeff aroff who had just joined an american guy who just joined their record label warner uh he loved the song he heard a, a demo of the riff that ended up being a global hit and said why didn't you release that version uh, knew this guy by the name of Steve Barron, who was a video director who was interested in, in animation um, and bringing animation line drawing into pop videos at the time. There you have it, an MTUSA situation, one of the most successful pop songs and pop videos of all time. And this band was suddenly thrust into the limelight. Um, so, Stephanie, if you don't know much about AHA, um, first of all, congratulations on being good few years younger than me <laughs> um, secondly Morton Harkett is just it's it's a very interesting thing I, I'm always mindful of um, Blondie's line in one of their great songs I'll take the money you can have the fame uh, but Morton Harkett was the good looking lad out of um, Aha and he was like he was studying top of the pops now he knew he, he needed to have an image you know and he had the um, the leather uh belts and stuff like that and the hair was always in a quiff but he became this absolute heartthrob um, and just became suddenly like quite a serious musician quite a like I want to make serious music I want to be the new soft cell kind of vibe um, and trust into the spotlight of being an absolute megastar um, I think he tellingly says at one stage in a car in the dock um, you don't have many sanctuaries when everyone knows who you are they're gone and then he gets out of the car and everyone starts screaming and this is like 40 years later you know yeah um the fans are grannies now or mothers but they're still following them all over the world and i think it's that really interesting interesting doc i i found a lot of depth to this i have to say and not particularly a fan i didn't need to be a fan as a way in i think so it's kind of like this genre of movie sort of like rocket man and queen where you don't really have to know or be a fan of the music but the film totally, itself stands on its own. Yeah, I think they're just there's just such an ambivalence from them towards their fame. I think I think that's really interesting. Um, they all grew up steeped in music, have you know grew up down the road from each other. Were were in bands from their teenage years, um, and you just wonder what drives them to keep going at the stage the money is made. You know, um, but there's just a musicality to what they do, and I think they are. Just, yeah, really interesting subjects for documentary, not least, as I say, because there was one stage at the very beginning of the film that Magne says, no way are they recording a new band uh, record because he says it's a hornet's nest. By the end, we just want to bash each other's brains out. Wow. Okay. Okay. So no new music, but you're still touring all the time. They sit backstage. They don't really talk to each other. They just, the relationship starts when they go on stage together. And I think that's just really interesting. It's It's interesting. It's also like refreshingly honest, I think, because I'd say more bands than we know feel like that. Out of five, Esther, what are you giving it? 
I'm giving this a four. I think it's a really good filmmaking, good documentary making and could have been a puff piece. Fans would have been happy with that. And I just think there's a lot more musical depth to it than that. Right. Yeah. Well, that is aha if you're into it. And if you didn't know, they sang Take On Me, Take Me On, uh, which has been made popular again by TikTok. Fanula, I'm going to come to you uh, for showbiz this story just gets so it's it's like two great stories in one one Westlife are back mm-hmm. which is just the endless like the evergreen story because yep. they're always like this is our last tour and then they're like actually we'll come back so they come back again and they're bringing with them the sugar babes yes I'm thrilled I don't know about you I'm pretty actually very excited about this Um, as you mentioned they're playing two nights at uh, the Aviva Stadium they announced their Dublin and Cork support today and as you mentioned sugar babes are coming with them to Dublin alongside uh, Dublin singer Sole who's really good if you haven't seen her live no, Sole I have heard oh, and she's amazing but so the sugar good. babes they, it's, it's a it's a nostalgia. No, I mean they're also good. Uh, it's but it's a nostalgia sort For of sure. hit. Are they all coming back, or is it sort of a Destiny's Child without Beyonce situation? No, so it's the the first lineup. So that's Keisha Buchanan, Mucha Buena, and Siobhan Doherty. Obviously, our own Siobhan. So um, original Sugar Babes. The original Sugar Babes. Yeah, this is kind of their first reunion, I suppose. So they actually got together back in. I think it was 2011 or 2012, roughly around then, the three of them got back together themselves and released new music under MKS because they couldn't get the legal rights to the Sugar Babes. Mm -hmm. They've won them back. They won them in 2019. Um, So they're back. They had plans to kind of mark their 20th anniversary as as a group. I think it was the 20th anniversary of their first album. But it happened during COVID, so they couldn't get into the studio or do anything. So alongside the support slot with Westlife, they're doing Glastonbury. I would imagine they're going to get back into the studio now and do new music because I think they said the only thing stopping them was COVID and Siobhan had fears around Shitty Young Son at the time. So... I don't know. I'm excited. Like this is we're back in the naughties. I'm sort of excited for young Stephanie, you know, but like, (laughs) I don't know if I'm going to be excited for new music necessarily. I think uh, it's so hit or miss when they when these bands come back. You know what I mean. I will say the song that they did release, Flatline, Flatline, when they got back together as MKS, is very very good. Very good pop. They have great voices. But again, I don't know if. The world has moved past Sugar Babes. I kind of think they might have. And also, well, as I you think said, what's happened is music has moved past yeah. Sugar Babes, right? But what we love them for was that sort of pop sensationalism. Mm. And I don't want to see them do this sort of my money don't jiggle jiggle. In, you know, I don't want to see them do what is popular now. Now I know that's Louis Thoreau, but you know, <laughs> I just want to. I want the old Sugar Babes, and I, I probably wouldn't pay to see them now, but. Yeah, I think it. I've never seen them live. I would be very interested to see them live, especially alongside, you know, Westlife. Because you imagine, obviously, the production there at Westlife, they're going to have the lights, the bits and bobs. There's going to be a stool that they'll get up off for the key change. I don't think it's necessarily going to be choreography heavy, but Sugar Babes weren't really known for doing mad choreography either. It's going to be a time warp. It's going to be like walking into my teenagers, which I'm here for. In the Aviva, like... Yeah, I don't know, I'm fully getting tickets now. I'm, I'm just just for the spectacle. It could be absolutely terrible, but sign me up. I, I need mean, to witness you couldn't it. pay me to go to any uh, any concert because of the crowds and loud noises, but I will watch people's social media uh, Fair. Uh, like uh, coverage of it. I'll take loads of stories and I'll tag you just and then you yes, can give your view. tag me. People like, why is Fanula tagging <laughs> Stephanie Kreisner? In, You're in the newest member of the Sugar Babes. I'm the, yeah, <laughs> like, I'm just coming on, stay for the encore, it's going to be me. Um... We're going to segue here with a text read beer. I was buying zero Guinness in Tesco and I was paying at the self-service, but I had to get assistance because apparently there is a fraction of alcohol in it and the machine wouldn't allow it through without getting cleared. That's from Jackie. 
But again, yeah. like they don't have the same regulation for mouthwash. Which... Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's it's a strange one. And there is um, like I have had people mention that they've seen non-alcoholic beer out with the soft drinks, uh, you know, because now with the the new structural separation laws, you need to keep the alcohol section, section. of a supermarket completely Locked separate away. from yes. the uh, the main part. So it's a slightly ambiguous um, area because in terms of uh, alcohol tax, there's no no tax on on the beer, like even with the 0.5 percent, because the the alcohol is based on the alcohol content, but it's it's treated as zero for non-alcoholic. So so far we have had two. Uh, we've had two drinks. We had the Stonewell non-alcoholic cider, which was my favourite so far. Not because it's made in Cork, but it certainly had a part to play. Um, then we had the Dungarvan main sale alcohol-free pale ale, which is brewed in Dungarvan County, Waterford. I'm not from there but that's not the reason I didn't really love it it's just because I'm not a huge fan of ale also I was born in Munich and our next beer is from Bavaria Yes, so we've got uh, Meissel's non-alcoholic. I'm going to Th- taste this now. This is brewed as a Hefeweiss, which is a style of beer that uses a large proportion of wheat in it. Um, oh, now that tastes much more mm. like like beer. That's much nicer. It's, yeah, what you've got there is you've got... Am I meant to be? So uh, maybe I should... <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, should I be? These are all nice beers. It's well, uh, can, what you have with different beers, and especially if, if you are a non-drinker, what you'll find is that you're your tolerance or your appreciation for bitterness will be much lower than somebody who drinks uh, beer. What you'll find is people who drink lots of IPAs, pale ales will tend to understand the the balance of bitterness. With this the bitterness is virtually non-existent. How they achieve the uh, balance in the beer is through spice flavours that come through the fermentation. So there's a certain amount of clove and cinnamon that gives a slight spiciness to it and then the fermentation you get a certain amount of ripe banana but a little bit more peach and apricot uh, coming through and then a good backbone of wheat flavours so kind of wheat cracker type flavour I know you might think I'm a spoofer but I can definitely taste the bright banana Mm. no (laughs) honestly Dean lists ingredients and I don't get it until he says it and then I'm like oh yeah Yeah. he's always talking about baked goods and bakery tastes and I'm like "Mm," and like taste the cross this sort of reminds me like now I haven't had so I stopped drinking in 2014 so I missed the whole IPA thing but the sort of German beers like Erdinger that those sort of this kind of tastes like that that's the same style, yes. Oh, great. Uh, so yeah, Erdinger right. would be a wheat beer, yeah, would be the, the largest uh, wheat beer in the world. And uh, yeah, what you've got, the cloudy colour, um, it's described as a hefeweiss, so the vice part of it is um, white or wheat, depending on, on how you uh, spell it. And uh, then with the hefe, that is a reference to the fact that there's still yeast in the beer. Uh, so if you hold it up, it's quite cloudy, and that's yeast in suspension um, in the beer. That can give a, a slightly bready character to the, the beer. Um, because obviously yeast is used in in making bread as well but that banana peach apricot and then the spicy clove they're the kind of key flavours that come through I love I love your description of these things it's like when people speak about perfume when they're talking about top notes and you're like yeah but like I just kind of like the smell of it (laughs) Uh, we're going to go we're going to take a break now but uh, Esther what are we coming back with what's the what's your next movie going to come back and talk about the British new British drama and cinemas from today Benediction Benediction here is a clip from our next movie, Benediction. I am... Yes, we already know who you are, Stephen. But who is this absolute dream in oyster grey silk? Hester Gatty. Lady Gatty's daughter? Yes. She once invited you to Carlton House Terrace. But you hardly noticed me. And I apologise for my lack of taste. But great admirers of your poetry, Siegfried. Before you take offence, Ivor, we like your work too. K. 
careful, Stephen. That was almost enthusiasm. Perhaps they will play one of your charming songs, Mr. Novello, and then we could dance to it. I can't tempt Stephen, though. Why not? Because I only do the Velita. And only when pressed. Esther, I feel like our last one of our last guests, Stephen McGuire, could have written a poem in between the gaps in that dialogue. What is going on? <laughs> it's a real slow burner. Um, I, I don't I don't like singling out running times unless it's for a reason. And I do think it is this two hours, 17 minutes. And it, it in and of itself, it doesn't justify itself. Good um, night. It, yeah, yeah, it's a long one. Um, and it's a very specific subject matter as well. Having said that, I would say, say it's a really good film. And I think Terence Davies, uh, the writer-director, Ace and the Spade here, is Jack Loden. Um, you think you don't know Jack Loden, and that's kind of what I like about him, Stephanie. He mm-hmm. is that kind of... Um, he's hopping in and out of films like 71, the brilliant um, Northern Ireland set drama a few years ago. He was in Dunkirk. Um, he was in the criminally underseen uh, fighting with my family a few years ago. If you haven't caught it, it's a, about a wrestler by the name of Page, and it's really, really good. Um, I think he's one of the most versatile young actors working out of Britain today, and he's definitely he carries this even when it drags. Um, I knew very little about Siegfried Sassoon, who he plays um, in the film, but he's. If if you're into your war time poetry or your arts from this period of the you know the the nineteen twenties, he is kind of an iconic figure. In he is. That. I just googled him there at the ad break because I was getting mixed up with Vidal Sassoon of the hair and shampoo fame. Totally different not, guy. Totally not different the guy. Lad, not the lad with the scissors. No. The other fella. Yeah, and I did the same thing actually. Uh, so he was uh, one of these leading kind of decorated soldiers in the front lines. He fought in World War One, uh, and decided you know, kind of midway through World War One, that he didn't like what was going on, that it was basically a la- turning into a land gra- grab rather than a moral war. And he became this ultimate uh, rebel against the ongoing war. And the film is um, punctuated with actual footage from the period and, and some of his poetry. And it was rebellious stuff, you know. There were sometimes quite graphic um, accounts of his own experiences of battle and leaving no illusion among members of the public uh, you know about the realities of what was going on in Europe and I think that made him a very dangerous man in British society um, and they tried to silence him they they threatened to have him court-martialed uh, they even got him sent in to hospital treatment uh, to a centre as they called it in those days to a centre for nervous diseases uh, where the doctor was a big fan of his poetry and would have chats with him <laughs> about stuff. So it wasn't, you know, they didn't get the effect that they expected there at all. Of course, what else is really interesting about this period is that he um, he was, so soon he was a gay man who struggled throughout his life with his sexuality um, and forged different relationships with his fellow male artists. Here we are again finding out who the um, Ivor Novello Award is named after, uh, a, f- a very famous actor of the period. And um, he had a very hostile relationship with him, I think. Unlike, uh, I, I suppose, unlike a lot of people, gay men of this period, you get the sense that um, Sassoon wanted someone he could settle down with. Uh, and he was caught up in all these very open relationships that didn't always work for him personally. Um, he, so he, you know, took this radical move again in his life and, and married 
a, a close friend, uh, a female poet by the name of Hester Gatti, who you heard him being introduced to in the passage on, on the clip there, and also turned to Christianity. So, you know, had a lot of regrets in his life and uh, and tried to live his life. And you, you see him in later, later life played by Peter, the great, great Peter Capaldi, who's just so good here, giving us something layered and textured and quite different to what we're used to seeing him do, I think. Um, you sort of convinced me there, particularly with the, you know, homosexual man wants a relationship during a period when that's absolutely, you know, so difficult for so many reasons, then mm. gets married and turns to Christianity. I mean, there's there's enough interest in that. Uh, I mean, a, a rebel in the truest sense, I think, throughout his life, you know, an interesting character. But as I said, um, what it, are you giving it, it out of five? Me. I'm giving it three. The the running time the running tested time. me. I mean, the clip no, tested pe- me, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> now, people who love Terence Davies' work, and there are many people who love his they'll films, like The House the of Mirths. Um, yeah, they'll appreciate that pacing. He is regarded in artistic circles as one of the greatest living British filmmakers. Right. But okay. uh, yeah, well, we'll story see. is everything for me, you see. And finally, I'm going to come to Fanula very briefly on um, another movie that will be held in such high esteem. You know, maybe not quite as... It's the Barbie movie. It's the Barbie movie. And Sir Sharonin is going to be in it. Talked about in artistic circles, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, yeah, it's added more people to the cast, including Sir Sharonin. Dua Lipa is also apparently in the mix. Um, the way it's kind of being touted now, though this isn't confirmed, is that they're going to play like alternative Barbies because obviously we don't know whether it's going to be like Barbie as a character or Barbie as the doll. We just know that it's live action and Margot Robbie is the Barbie. Um, but there's been a few different people cast as potential Kens as well, like Simi Lou got added to the cast. So I'm kind of more interested now thinking of this multiverse of different Barbies or like who else could be Barbie. So I just feel like in the world that we're in, like, is this the sa- is this the bam that we all oh. need a Barbie movie? Uh, te- there are other stories. Like, tell there we are. don't need to be turning <laughs> to toys, guys. Just write write a different we story. We have Toy but... Story. We don't need stories about individual toys. <laughs> Barbie was in Toy Story. She does need her own spin off. But you know what, Greta? What's her name? Greta Gerwig. Gerwig. Yeah, she's a great director. Could be interesting. But Could be. We'll see. Esther we'll will see. probably be on after it's after yeah. it's been made, and we'll 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 trust her judgment. Movies and booze on Moncrief on News Talk.